Let's go ahead and take our, our Bibles today. Turn over to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 this morning. Thank you. Appreciate the special music. Thank you, choir, for the song you did. Appreciate that. Did a great job today, choir. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Again, we're glad you're here and certainly want uh, God to speak to our hearts and encourage us. I uh, trust that uh, our, our uh, bodies have recovered from the week of meetings and we're strong and ready to listen. And I trust that you're ready to go. And so let's go ahead and do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. I want to read just a couple of verses and then we'll go from there. And we'll see what's going to happen today, all right? I trust this will be a blessing to you. Know ye not that the unrighteousness, excuse me, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Can you turn me down just a little bit because I'm, I want to get loud if I want to. I feel like I'm a little loud today. Am I loud today? No, not compared to Brother Hamblin, am I? He, he said, he, he, he honestly, he told me, he said, I want to see their ears bleed. <laughs> you believe that? I do. I believe it. He said it. He said it. I, I'm telling you. But anyway, <laughs> and such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now again, I want to read those one more time. Know ye not that the unrighteousness, unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkard, nor reviler, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Father, help us now in these next moments. May you, Father, drive home a very basic and simple truth that we need to be reminded of on a regular basis. I'm asking you, Lord, to fill me with your Spirit. May you stand in my shoes, and may I become and be your mouthpiece. Lord, anoint every listening ear, and may they hear those things which will please you, and then, Lord, receive them. Lord, I pray, dear God, that we would hear with spiritual ears and, Lord, allow you, Father, to truly change our lives, to inspire us, to encourage us. And, Lord, we need you today. Help me now, Lord, I pray. And, Lord, may you bless your people. In Christ's name, amen. Corinth, of course, was one of the most decadent, depraved, and devilish societies in history. I know it's simple or it's kind of easy to think somehow that maybe America has eclipsed past civilizations and evil and, and sin, but the reality is, is that we're still headed downward. There's still steps to go in decline. The culture in Corinth was extremely devilish. It was extremely demonic. It was extremely sinful and, and lascivious. It was horrible, and as a result of that, when people were being saved, they were being saved out of a culture and a society of tremendous sin. I mean, they had experienced horrible things. I mean, they talk about the, the, the temple priestesses and other things there in the temple of Diana. And there was just a number of horrible sins that were being committed even in the name of God and religion. 
It was just a, a very sinful place, a horrible place in that regard. Worldly, fleshly. Here in the book of Corinthians, the Apostle Paul addresses the Corinthian people, the church at Corinth. And in this particular book, he's going to address issues. There was a letter that was written to him, and now he's going to make response to that letter. And what we see early on in the book of Corinthians is that the Apostle Paul addresses what they are. He talks about them in chapters 1 through 6. He deals with what they are. For instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, take your Bible there, let's just do a very, very brief study. Notice what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. It says, Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. He says in 1 Corinthians 1, 4, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. The next verse says that in everything ye are enriched by him in all an utterance and in all knowledge. He says they're saints today. He says, now guys, listen, I want you to know, church, that you're saints. He's telling them what they are. He then also continues in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 11, to say, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are at the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. He says, now, not only are you saints, but I want to uh, tell you that I recognize there's some contentions and some carnality that exists within your ranks. What you are is saints, but you're also contentious and carnal. In 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither are ye now able. For ye are yet carnal. For as there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Again, he's dealing with what they are. They're saints, but they're also contentious and carnal. And then he also begins to note a little bit later, he talks in chapter 3, verse 9, and verse 16 and 23, he, he begins to address some other issues. He talks about their position in Christ. For we are labors, he says, together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's uh, building. He says in verse 16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? He says in 1 Corinthians 3, 23, And ye are of Christ, and Christ is God's. I mean, he's talking to them about what they are right now in the present time. He also talks about some sin that was in the camp in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. And such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Again, gross sin taking place publicly in the church. In 1 Corinthians 6, 5, he says, I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brother. I mean, he deals with their sin and he deals with the need of dealing with it. But the fact is, is in the chapters 1 through 6, all the way through verse 8 of chapter 6, the Lord is dealing under the, uh, uh, having Paul write to them concerning what they are or their present faith. 
And then we arrive at our text. We arrive at our text in chapter 6, verse 9. And he says, For ye know, uh, for, uh, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor, uh, excuse me, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkard, nor reviler, nor extortioner, shall inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, you've got to understand, that's what they were. That's what they had been through. That's the kind of sins that they had manifest in their life prior to coming to Jesus Christ. Paul now says in chapter 1 through 6, Don't you know you're saints now? Don't you realize that Christ lives in you? Don't you know? Things are different. And he goes on to say, These will not inherit the kingdom of God. In verse 11, And such were some of you. Such were some of you. That's an amazing statement. That's what you used to be. That's what you were. That's not who you are. Again, he shares that list of lifestyles and sins. And he says, listen now. Such were some of you. Such were. Past tense. So in chapters 1 through 6, verse 8, he says, this is what you are. Their present faith is what he shares with them. And then in chapter, chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, he says, he tells them what they were. Or addresses their past failures. But before you can blink, he's off that subject and he's moving forward. Because we know right then, he says, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He moves right off that subject. I mean, he doesn't spend hardly a breath. And next thing you know, bam, he's off of that subject. And now for the rest of the book, now all the way to chapter 16, for 10 chapters, the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is going to speak to them concerning what they are supposed to be for their promising future. In chapter 7, verse 1, he says, Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me. Again, they had written unto him and they'd asked him some questions and they had uh, uh, now sought a response from the apostle. His relationship with them was that of a father or that of, a, uh, of someone in authority. And they're asking now, what can you do for us? Here's some of our questions, our concerns. And so the apostle Paul now begins to address some issues in the Christian life. Some things that we are supposed to be. He deals with marriage right off the bat in chapter 7. He begins to address that issue and he digs into it and he thoroughly uh, 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 points out some facts and says this is what is, how it's supposed to be and this is what we're supposed to do and this is how it's supposed to take place. He then goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. In verse 12 it says, But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. 
He begins to deal with Christian liberty. He says, yeah, you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no doubt that you're on your way to heaven. The fact is, is that you don't, nor can you ever merit the love and the affection of the Lord Jesus Christ on your own strength or your own work. But Jesus Christ himself died in your place, shed his blood, was buried and rose again. And as a result of the grace of God and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you now have the favor of God. No doubt about that. But he goes on to say, now you be real careful as Christians. You can't use that Christian liberty, that freedom to sin. you got to use it for God and good. He begins to deal with the care of God's man. He talks about it in chapter 9, verse 13 through 14. Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live by the things of the temple, and they which wait after the uh, wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. He's very clear to say that the people of God ought to support the man of God. They ought to take care of his needs and they ought to provide for him. They ought to provide for his family. They ought to avail him or give him the opportunity to proclaim the truth and not be hampered and hindered because he's concerned about meeting his bills every month. He goes on to talk about the Christian race. Chapter 9, verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. We know that we're in a race. And the Bible's telling us that we're to run that race. We're not to walk it, we're to run it. We're to be actively involved in the work of Christ. He says, man, listen, I know, I know, I know what you were and I know what you are. But I'm telling you what you're supposed to be. You ought to be involved in the work of God. You need to be involved in the Christian race. Run the race and win. Then he says the Christian standard. He shares with us the Christian standard. Take your Bible if you haven't been already and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6 through 11. We'll read just a few verses. We'll move right along. I haven't gotten to the point of the message yet, but we're going to get there real soon. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6. Talking about the Christian standard. Now these things were our examples To the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. He continues in verse 14 to say, Wherefore, my beloved, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. He says, man, there were, there were examples in that Old Testament, and we have it written out for us in that Old Testament. And he says, there are examples for us. We're to be looking at their example, and we're to understand where their, their lifestyle led them and how it affected their relationship with God. Don't be fooled, Christian. Don't be fooled, believer, he says. You're to learn from their example. Don't follow the, the pathway that they followed. It only led to destruction. So in chapters 1 through 6, verse 8, the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, addresses what they are. He addresses and he speaks to them about their present faith 
And then in those, those 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9-11, through 11, he, he, he speaks to them concerning what they were or their past failures. And then in chapter 7-16, through 16, 10 chapters, he addresses and focuses on what they're supposed to be or their promising future. So let me summarize what we've learned. Again, in the first six chapters, he deals with their present, who they are. And the last ten chapters, he deals with what they are supposed to be. God spends, now watch this, don't miss it. God spends just three verses concerning their past. Here's the principle now. Do you see it? There it is. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you didn't get it even then. Okay, but anyway, <laughs> Dr. Hamblin, right? I just, I'm a spiritual schizophrenic. Whoever I'm around, that's who I preach like. But anyway, here's the principle now. Listen closely. Here it is. Watch now. God is not concerned with who you were, but with who you are and where you're going. God's not concerned with who you were, but with who you are and where you're going. I mean, six chapters he deals with where or what they are. Ten chapters he deals with where they're supposed to be. Three, count them, three verses in the entire book of 1 Corinthians deal with their past failures. Only three. And in the midst of those three verses, he says such were some of you. I don't know about you, but that ought to be something that causes you to shout today that God doesn't care about your sordid past. He's more concerned about where you are and where you're going. Right off the bat, he says, and such were some of you, but ye are washed. Do you realize that your past failures are washed in the blood of the Lamb to be remembered no more? Then isn't that liberating? Isn't that wonderful? Psalm chapter 103 verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. He says in Micah 7, 19, he will, re- he will turn again. He will, have, he will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. They've often said that the Lord casts our sins into the depths of the sea and He places an old fishing sign there. I mean to tell you, our past failures are washed in the blood of the Lamb to be remembered no more. Do you realize that salvation changes us from what we were to who we are? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I'm convinced that too many Christians live in the past. I'm convinced that too many Christians allow the devil to have some ammunition in their life simply because they can't get their past out of their mind. But I want you to know that the Lord Jesus Christ only spent three simple verses out of a whole book of the Bible in order to remind them of what they 
were. Not what they are and not what they're supposed to be, but what they were. And I'm going to tell you, God says to you today, this is what you were. But as far as I'm concerned, that's over with. Let's start moving forward. Salvation changes us from what we were to who we are. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Not only that, but salvation begins a work. I mean, oh, there's no doubt that salvation, uh, those past failures are washed in the blood of the Lamb to be remembered no more. There's no doubt that that salvation changes us from what we were to who we are. But also that salvation begins a work to mold us into what God wants us to be. What we find basically is simply this, that we are all simply works in progress. There's not one of us that's arrived. There's not one of us that has made it to the pinnacle of spirituality. We're all in a growing process. You may be at a different place than you were a year ago and you ought to be. Hopefully it's forward, not backward. But the reality is, is that we all ought to be growing in Christ Jesus. He says in Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. Again, we're works in progress. God is only performing that work on a regular, ongoing basis. The only one, the only one that can hinder or hamper that work in your life is you. No one else can do that. You say, but you don't understand my circumstances. You don't know my situation. You can't possibly recognize the hurt, the heartache that I'm enduring and going through. I promise you today that God has begun a good work in you and he will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. And the only one that stands between him and performing that work in your life is you. That's it. And it's me in my life. I think about this principle and I consider that. I mean, and again, the principle is just so good. I, I think I'll just share it one more time. God is not concerned with who you were, but with who you are and where you're going. Right. I think about Gideon. And old Gideon, I mean, Judges chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. He says, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which is in Orphra, and pertained to Joash the Abiezrite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. You've got to understand the Midianites had come down upon these people and the Israelites were being oppressed by them and they were fearful of them because anything that they did that prospered, the Midianites would just take for themselves. And so there we find this man by the name of Gideon, this young man. And here he is working and he's thriving. He's trying to provide for his family. He's trying to hide even what he has so that the Midianites don't steal and take it. He's fearful today. Let me tell you, he's fearful. And all of a sudden, the Bible says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. What? I mean, I can only imagine Gideon over there threshing that wheat, you know, and he's threshing it all up. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the angel appears. All of a sudden, he hears those words. The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And he says, where? Where's the mighty man of valor? It's not me. I know that for sure. I'm scared to death over here. The Midianites are just over the hill. I'm trying to hide what I'm doing because they're going to come beat me up and take what I got. 
No, you're the mighty man, Gideon. Because see, Gideon, I don't see what you were. And I'm not looking at even just what you are. I see what you could be and it will be with my help. I see a promising future, Gideon. I see you different than your daddy sees you. I see you different than your wife sees you. I see you different than your brethren see you. I see you different than your neighbors see you. Or that your schoolmates see you. I see you a mighty man of valor. You want to know, I'm going to tell you something today. That too often you have too low an opinion of what you are in Christ. Outside of Christ you are nothing just like I am. But boy, in Jesus Christ, He has a plan and a will for your life and mine. And He says you can become, I mean, the stars are the limit. I've got a plan for you. I've got a purpose for you. I just want you to follow me and and allow me to work in your life and perform that work. Thou mighty man of valor. I think of Jephthah in the Bible. Jephthah, the Bible says, the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor. Hold on. He wasn't always one, though. He was the son of a harlot. The son of a harlot, the Bible says. And Gilead begot Jephthah. Gilead was his daddy. And Gilead's wife then bare him sons. So then Gilead finds a wife and he begins to bear him sons. And his wife's sons grew up, and they thrust out Jephthah and said unto him, Thou shalt not, thou shalt not inherit in our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. I mean, they booted him right out of the house. They said, Man, your mama's a harlot. We don't want nothing to do with you. You're an illegitimate child. So Jephthah finally said, I can't take it no more. All the name calling and all the picking on me all the time. I can't take it now. The Bible tells us that he fled to Tob. T-O-B. And there he assembled a band of soldiers. And he became a mighty man of valor. And then it came a day, there came a day when Ammon came down upon Israel. Began to come across them and was going to attack them and hurt them and harm them. And Israel didn't know who to turn to or what to do. And they finally, they called all the way to Tob. And they said, man, listen, we got to get a hold of Jephthah. Jephthah's a mighty man of valor. We need somebody that will help deliver us from this army. Well, they got a hold of him. Can you imagine how that went over? Collect call for Jephthah. Who'd be calling me? From Israel. Oh, nobody from Israel called me. They booted me out of there. It wasn't nothing to do with me. I'm the son of a harlot, remember? I'm a big zero. I'm a big nothing. I'm of no value. Oh, boy, Jephthah. Hold on, Jephthah. God ain't done with you yet. The world may see you that way, but God don't. Hello? What do you guys want? You want me to what? Oh, Amnon. Oh, now all of a sudden, you, you want me to do what? You want me to come back up there to Israel and defeat Ammon for you? Oh, I wasn't good enough a few years back. Now all of a sudden, i got to come deliver you and rescue you? I don't know about that. They're pleading with him. They're begging with him. And he says, okay. 
If I deliver you, will I be your head? Will I rule over you? Will you submit to my leadership? We're desperate, brother. Come be our captain. Jephthah went back. He won the battle. And the Bible tells us that he judged God's people and judged Israel for six years. Top dog. I'm going to tell you something. When the world says you're a big zero, when the world tells you you're a big nothing, I want you to know, as a child of God, God has a plan for your life. God has something for you that nobody can see but Him. He's not worried about your present faith. He's not as concerned about your past failures as He is your promising future. Think about that Apostle Paul. You think about him. I mean, there's the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 26. Let's look over there. He's a persecutor of Christians early on in his lifetime. But look over in Acts chapter 26. Kind of get a little review here of things. Chapter 26, verse 16. He's on the road to Damascus and, of course, he meets with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's told, but rise and stand upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. What purpose? To make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith which is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient under the heavenly vision. Again, God has a plan for you, Paul. In that time, his name was Saul. And he said, listen, your name's Saul. I've got something for you. You're not going to be what you used to be. You used to be a murderer of Christians. You were out there wreaking havoc among my people. But I'm telling you, I've got something better for you. Something bigger for you. I've got something that only I can do in your life. I don't care about your sordid past. It means nothing to me. All I care about is today and the future. You can't help but read the Bible and know that God used Paul in such a mighty way. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentile. Thirteen books of the New Testament written using Paul's hand as a pen for God. What about that Peter? Remember him? I mean, here's Peter. You know, I like this. Look over in John chapter 13. Don't bow your heads. We're not praying yet. Remember that one? I just thought I'd throw it out there. <clears throat> Again, another quote from Evangelist John Hamlet. I just thought I'd do it while your heads were all bowed. But anyway, <clears throat> John chapter 13, verse 37. Notice it says, Peter saith unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? 
I will lay down my life for thy sake. (laughs) Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Hmm. Over in chapter 18 now, that same book, look at verse 27. Peter then denied again. Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crew. (laughs) I mean, here's this man that followed the Lord. He had followed the Lord Jesus Christ for three years, three and a half years. He had been with him. He had slept with him. He had ate with him. He had been amongst his ministry. He had seen the miracles and he had experienced things firsthand. It gets time for Jesus Christ to go to Calvary. And he says, oh Lord, oh Lord, can I follow you? I'll die for you. (laughs) Really? Really, Peter? Before it's over with. Peter denies the Lord Jesus Christ three times within just a short period of time. Well, how quickly we lose our focus. How quickly we go from faith to failure in the Christian life. But hold on. That's not the end of the story. You say, well, I've made those mistakes and I might be back here even today hoping to somehow one day be back in the favor of God. I'm going to tell you, friend, God's not concerned about the past. He's concerned about the present and He's concerned about your promising future. Notice what happens here in the book of Acts chapter 2 verse 14. What a wonderful thing that takes place here just to prove to us once again that God's not finished with a backslidden saint. I want you to know that God will take you from where you were to where you, He wants you to be. Notice what he says here. Chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. Man, he gets up and preaches a powerful message now. This is called the day of Pentecost. And then over in verse 41, the Bible tells us that he says, Then they that gladly received the word were baptized, and that the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. I mean, Peter gets up and thunders the message of God. I mean, he had just denied the Lord Jesus Christ. He had just been coming off a bad day, a real bad day. He had made some poor decisions. He had gone the wrong direction. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus Christ said, I'm not done with you yet, Peter. Because see, I know that you've had some past failures and I know you've messed up some things along the way, but I've got a promising future for you. And boy, I'll tell you what, 3,000 souls later, Peter was convinced that God can use a sinner just like me. And I want you to know tonight, this morning, that God can use a sinner just like you. I think of Esther. You know that Esther had no parents? Her mom and daddy obviously had died. She was an orphan. Her cousin Mordecai took her in. Some of you think it was her uncle. It wasn't. It was her cousin. Check it out sometime. Her cousin Mordecai took her in. I always thought it was her cousin or her, her uh, uncle. That's why I say I probably figure you do too. That's what I was taught. And then I read the Bible. Huh. But anyway, (laughs) it was her cousin Mordecai. Here she is, an orphan. 
How's that turn out usually? I mean, how's it turn out when your mom and daddy pass away and you're left behind there and sometimes you're passed from family to family or maybe you end up in foster care? Listen to me, I, I, it's not an easy life and I feel sorry for those that don't have the privilege and the opportunity to be raised by both parents. But let me tell you something. I mean, it's bad enough to lose one, but to lose both, I mean, are you kidding me? But see, her past wasn't what was most important. That's not what mattered most to God. Oh, I'm sure she cried herself to sleep at night sometimes. And I'm sure she wished to God that she had her mama there to comfort her. And I know she wished she had her daddy there to meet her needs. But I'm going to tell you, God provided a man by the name of Mordecai, her cousin. And he helped to raise her up. She became a wonderful, beautiful young lady. A godly young lady. There came a time in the kingdom when it appeared that the Jew would be destroyed and... Esther was there to stand in the gap. She saved a nation single-handedly. A little orphan girl of the past, now the queen. She single-handedly saves a nation. I'm going to tell you something today. I don't care what your past is. I don't care how sordid it's become. It doesn't matter how wicked you were or how many obstacles you have to leap over or bound over. I want you to know today that God says, I'm not as concerned about your past failures. I'm not as concerned about your difficulties in the past. It doesn't matter to me how mentally or emotionally or physically you was abused. All I care about is your future. See, God spends just three short verses in the whole book of 1 Corinthians remembering, remembering the past of those wicked people. I'm sure there were times they woke up in their life in the morning and thought to themselves, there is no way a perfect holy God could ever use such a wicked sinner like me. And God says, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to prove to you that I'm not as concerned about your past failures as I am about your promising future. And I want you to know today God's not as concerned about your past failures as He is your promising future. As a matter of fact, He could care less about them. He mentioned them for three simple little verses. I mean a minute speck on the pages of 1 Corinthians. And after that, it was gone. And yet we get hung up on this thing all the time. We're always hung up on it. But you don't know what I did with so-and-so. And you don't know where I was. And you don't know what I ended up doing. You don't know what I became. And you It doesn't matter. We've got a God who will save your soul and wash you clean. And then he'll take you from where you are and help put you on the road to where you're supposed to be. He's got a future for you. A promising future. I don't care how broken you've been in the past. It doesn't matter how abused you've been in the past. It doesn't matter what you've gone through in the past. God has a promising future for you. But you've got to let him work in your life. Nay, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. You're of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Listen, you need to give your past up. You need to give your past to God. You know, sometimes we selfishly hold on to our past. 
You say, what do you mean? I don't want that past. I think you might be surprised. People hold on to it for a reason. They hold on to it because they believe somehow that it gives them an excuse for feeling or behaving the way they do. Well, I have every right to be angry. I have every right to be bitter. I have every right to be hateful. I have every right to be spiteful. I have every right. No, you don't. Not if you're God's property now. But they feel that it gives them an excuse for feeling or behaving the way they do. You have to give up ownership of it. Oh, I know it's not yours already. It's already been purchased and bought with a price. But you need to personally hand it over to God or you'll forever be bound by it. Years ago, I was just 18, I believe. About 10 years ago. And I, I was singing in a group. I knew a guy that was in that group, and he had said, uh, he said, man, listen, you're having a hard time getting back and forth to practice. I know a guy that's selling a car. I know a guy that's selling a car. I went, okay. I said, I, I could use one, but it's got to be cheap. Oh, it's cheap. I said, really, what is it? He said, well, it's, it's a 78, no, let's see, 72 green Chevy Impala. Now, if you know anything about cars, or if you lived back in that day, you know that that was a boat of a car. It was huge. I mean, that car, that car was one of them old cars, and it was big. It was as, it's as wide as some cars are long today. And I remember I went over and looked at that car, and, and I was excited. I mean, I really did want a car. I was 18, you know, and I was excited about getting a vehicle. I wanted to be able to drive where I needed to go, do what I needed to do, and all of that. And so I remember, uh, I might have been 19 by that time even, but nonetheless, I remember going over there and looking at that car. There it sat. I mean, it was, it was kind of sun-bleached already. You know, the paints weren't quite like they are today. And, and there it sat. It was huge. It was large. I looked in the door, and I looked inside at the, the interior, and I opened the door. I sat down in it, and I kept sitting down in it and kept sinking down in it. I think whoever owned it was at least 350 pounds. But anyway, I sat in that car, and then I remember looking to the right. And right there it was. I mean, it was exciting. There was that 8-track. There was that eight-track recorder, player. Mm. Woo! That was something, boy. I looked over at that thing. I said, man, this thing's all right. It's got my own. I already got the music set up in here and everything. I'm good to go. Got the eight-track set up. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. That's before tapes. Somebody had told me about those. I finally realized what it was. No, I, but I mean, we used those in those days back in the 70s. And I, I still remember, and even in the early 80s, they were going out of style, but they were still around. And there it was. I, I remember talking to the gentleman about the car. I said, well, how much is the car? What are you asking for? He said, $500. I said, $500. Hmm. I lifted the hood up like I knew anything. And I said, well, can I hear it run? And we started it up, heard it run. He said, now there are a few things about the car. I said, well, yeah, I see that. I said, also notice you got a sign on the window that says, as is. As is. Well, I don't know about you, that makes me a little nervous. 
And so he said, well, there's a couple of things. And as I looked around the car, I noticed a few things even. Didn't even really have to tell me about some of them. But I still remember that it got poor gas mileage. It's pretty bad. I had a big 400 cylinder or something, some 400 cc engine in it or something. I mean, it probably got seven miles a gallon, eight miles a gallon. It had a bad muffler. It had a cracked windshield. I bought that baby. I did. I gave him the $500. I said, man, this is a deal, boy. It's awesome. It had as-is on it, though. And you know what I did that day? I bought poor gas mileage. I bought a bad muffler. I bought a cracked windshield. But it was all mine. And you want to know something? God bought every one of your sins, flaws, failures. He bought every one of your weaknesses, sorrows, burdens, and cares. And you may feel as though God got ripped off the day that He bought you. But let me tell you something. He don't think you were a bad deal. No, He bought you nonetheless. And you are now the property of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have no legal right to your past or your future. You need to yield yourself to Him. Give yourself wholeheartedly. And let God do something with that promising future. That he has for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We learned a very valuable lesson this morning. God's not concerned with who you were, but with who you are and where you're going. If you're lost today, if you're lost this morning, if you don't know for sure heaven's your home, that there's never been a time and place when you invited Jesus Christ into your heart and into your life. You have your past and you dwell in the present. But I want you to understand something. You do not have a promising future. If you do not know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you do not have a promising future. The only reason that the believer has a promising future is because they have a powerful father and their past forgiven. Don't you want a new lease on life this morning? Don't you want a fresh start? Don't you want a new beginning today? In the book of Matthew, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. So many are tormented by their past. They loathe their present state. They're bound by sin, enslaved by vice. Won't you allow Christ to make you free indeed? If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. In just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. I wonder if there's anyone in the, the auditorium with every head bowed and every eye closed that would say, Preacher, That's me. I don't know for sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. I don't know for sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. Please pray for me. Please pray for me with an uplifted hand. I don't have that settled. I don't know. Just put it up, put it down. Anyone else? I don't know for sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. I don't have that settled. There's never been a time, a place when I personally invited Jesus Christ in my life or really meant it with all my heart. Anybody? Can I pray for you today? Anybody? Yes. Anybody else? Up, down. Just up and down. Anyone else? Yes. Anyone else? In just a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to that. I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to ask that the Lord give you the grace, the strength, to just make your way forward and let someone at the front, if you're a man, a man, a woman, a woman, take a Bible and show you from the Bible the precious promises of God, how your sin can be forgiven, your past forgotten, and you have that promising future in Christ, but it has to be in Him. You're saved today. You're saved today. You need to come to an altar, possibly, and give your past to God this morning. Maybe your past is hindering and hampering you. You need to surrender all rights, all the rights that you think you have, back to God. Here's what you need to say. 
God, I give you my past and all the chains that hold me back. I surrender my past, present, and future to you today. Your will is what I want. Use me as you will. I will not allow my past failures to keep me from your promising future for my life. You know, it's a prayer like that's what you need to do at an altar today. In just a moment as I pray for those who raised hands, I'll pray for those that need to make that commitment today at an altar even, or even at your seat. But preferably, if you're able to make it to an altar, you need to come to an altar today. That's a big decision. Father, right now I come to you. I pray that, Father, you'd be with those that raised hands. Lord, that admitted that they're not convinced that they're on their way to heaven, that they don't know for sure if they died, they go to... To heaven, I pray, Lord, that you'd give them the very courage they need to step out in just a moment. Come forward. May the Holy Spirit of God convict them of their sin and their need of Jesus Christ as their Savior. Lord, you will forgive their sin. You'll wash away their past. You'll give them a promising future in the Lord Jesus. Father, help them. And Lord, Father, for those that did not raise hands but in their heart raised their hand to you, needing to forget their past, to focus on their promising future to truly yield their past to you. Maybe they'll yield their past of abuse, yield their past of hurt, heartache, yield their past of bitterness, but give it to you today because you've purchased it as is. You took them as they were. Now let them give you everything that's theirs. And say it's now yours, Lord. It's yours by purchased and possession. It's yours now by yieldedness even. Father, we'll thank you. Let's all stand to our feet with every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking as the pianist begins to play. This is your opportunity. You raised your hand. You don't know for sure. I prayed for you. Won't you let us have someone take a Bible and show you some things? Again, it's simple faith. Simple faith. If God said that you come unto me, come unto me, he then he means it. Come unto him. Just go to him and say, I need to be saved. I need your forgiveness. I don't want my past to rule me. I want delivered from my past. I want delivered from my my, my, the consequences of sin I simply want you Lord to be my savior I want heaven to be my home I want to get, yield my life to you come on won't you let us help you today I don't know for sure if I died I'd go to heaven come on up you're a child of God the altar needs to you need to visit an altar you need to come and say Lord here's my past here's my past with all its failures all its heartaches I'm giving it to you it's already been bought and purchased but I'm now I'm consciously going to yield it to you going to actually give it to you. Well, that's a great decision. It's a great decision. We let that past rule us. We let that past grip our heart and ultimately burden us down, weigh us down. And then the devil comes along and trips us up with our past. Oh God, he he may love you, but he can't use you. Oh, I want you to know God can use you. Matter of fact, God has a perfect plan for your life. He, he has something that only you can do if you'll yield to Him. Just as, if, if just this morning you messed up, just this morning you made that most horrible mistake or committed that most horrible sin, I want you to know something. God says you just put that in the past and let's get started going in the right direction. I'm not going to worry about your past then. You confess it to me. It's gone. It's done. Move forward. Let's deal with it now. Let's not allow our past to rule us. Let's not give the devil a foothold.
I don't know for sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. Come on now, let's settle it. Why leave here doubting? Because I've been through this. I know. Why not settle it once and for all? Deal with it. Simple faith in Christ. You don't have to do any cartwheels. You don't have to stand on your head. You just need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You just need to obey the word of God when he says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You just have to understand and embrace and believe the fact that salvation is all him. That if you'll come humbly to him, surrendering your heart, your life, giving him your sin, understanding you deserve nothing but hell, he will wash your sin away, cleanse you and make you clean, put you on the fast track to glory. you can preach a more encouraging message than what you just heard today it says your past has no power over you unless you give it power past has no power not in God's economy I didn't say all the consequences of your actions will be washed away and wiped away that's not what I'm talking about but I'm saying it doesn't have to rule your future you don't have to live in guilt you don't have to live in shame You don't have to hang your head all the time. You just need to lift it up to Jesus Christ. Follow him. He'll do a miracle in your life and with you. you one more time about tonight we talk about the promising future we had a great tent meeting we're going to let folks give testimony tonight I, I, I kind of hope we can get through them I mean there may be so many we might have to even cut it off at some point but come on out we're going to have a great time as we consider what God has done in hearts and lives and look forward to what God's going to do in the future that promising future it's a blessing isn't it Thank you for the message we've heard this morning, Lord. How encouraging and how strengthening it is to the heart of the believers. Lord, we ask that you would help us to apply it to our lives, live us in victory. And Lord, we ask that you would bless the flock now as they travel uh, to their homes and, and to dinner wherever they go. And we ask that you would grant them safety to return. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen.